the Girl Crush Podcast. Some theme music. We'll be your Sandra Bullock source. I love the range of movies that she's in. Her eyebrows, they're amazing. She's very striking features. Fast male co-star, quirky little personality. She's got real tears at multiple parts in this movie. Oh yeah. Key Sandra Bullock physical comedy. Powerful woman. I mean, she's a boss the whole movie. I'm just all in. Rom-com. Brilliant. Smart. Five out of five. Hello and welcome to the Girl Crush Podcast. I'm Anne. And I'm Allie. We're obsessed with Sandra Bullock, so this season we're watching all of her movies and ranking them. If you want to give us your own thoughts, be sure to connect with us on Instagram at girlcrush underscore pod. And as always, be sure to rate and review. As a trigger warning, this movie does deal with the tragic events of 9-11 and grief and loss resulting from that day. If this is triggering to you, we suggest you skip this movie and episode. You can skip to the very end if you'd like to hear how this movie is ranked. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the 2011 film Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. In this movie, Sandra Bullock plays a character named Linda Shell, and a brief plot summary, after his father dies on 9-11, Oscar Shell, a nine-year-old kid, sets out to solve a mystery of a key he finds in his father's possessions. You can rent this movie on Amazon Prime or Redbox, and we highly recommend you do so. I actually had told Kale, like, this is a movie that he should watch. And so we actually pushed back recording this because I remembered today that Kale hadn't seen it yet. So I was like, we have to have Kale watch this before we spoil the movie for him. (laughs) So I literally just got done watching it again. So highly recommend you go watch it. Otherwise, here is your spoiler alert. I have to say, I did not just rewatch this. I was, though, just watching the series finale of Friends again for the billionth time. <gasps> so I'm feeling, oh. like, slightly emotional. Yeah, get you in your feels. But, like, probably not to the level you are. But I think that actually works out better because it's your turn to tell the plot, so you're going to be able to, like, get through it. And I will probably interject with some, like, emotional outbursts. I literally have a box of Kleenex here with me. <laughs> and... <laughs> Like, I, I literally have been crying. You know, spoiler alert, we're about to do it. But I've been crying, like, the past two hours watching this movie. <laughs> Not to do a TBT right now, but TBT to us recording Marley and Me <gasps> for season one. I had literally just finished watching it, and I was... I was trying not to be loud, because when <laughs> I ugly cry over dogs, it is like... It's like... <laughs> like awful and I had been like straight up ugly crying oh at my I mean it was bad and then we recorded the episode I was crying during the episode so if you want a good listen (laughs) go check out season one Marley and me if you like hearing us cry on air (laughs) right on air (laughs) there's another episode to check out where you can witness our misery yeah (laughs) (sighs) oh man Okay, so to get in the plot of Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, we gave this plot a well-deserved 9 out of 10. So the movie opens with a voiceover by a little boy quoting a stat that there are more people alive today than all the people who have died in the past. And he gives, <laughs> I just thought you were going to start and he gives a really depressing monologue about where to put dead people. So we see a funeral taking place, and Sandra Bullock is sitting in the front row. Her cry acting is on point again per usual so good and the boy who we learn his name is oscar is upset and angry and he's watching the funeral from the car so he starts talking about his dad played by the ever lovable america's dad tom hanks oh so good and 
this game that they used to play with a map of New York City, and their game was that they were searching for the sixth borough of New York City. So if you're not familiar with New York, there's five like major boroughs or neighborhoods. So they were searching for this like sixth imaginary one that his dad said used to exist. And it was this whole expedition that his dad created for him, kind of like a scavenger hunt, sending him around the city and kind of forcing Oscar out of his shell. Mm -hmm. No pun intended because their last name is Shell. But kind of to get him to talk to people because Oscar says, my dad knew this was hard for me. Mm -hmm. And you just get this really amazing image and view of the relationship between Oscar and his dad. It's so cute. Like his dad is so supportive of him. He makes him these little business cards to take on their expedition so that he can introduce himself properly to people. Like Allie's crying. It's so sweet. (laughs) It is so sweet. It's so sweet. I'm so glad I did not just rewatch this because I can't break down twice on this podcast. (laughs) So Oscar's dad owns a jewelry shop and Oscar kind of tags along sometimes to the shop and Oscar's mom is played by Sandra Bullock. So his dad going along with the scavenger hunt tells Oscar about a note found in the sixth borough and he's kind of like reading it to Oscar. They fall asleep in Oscar's bed and Oscar's voiceover says this is the last time he saw his dad. So, the next day, Oscar says he got let out of school early because of, quote, what was going on. And when he gets upstairs to their apartment, he plays voicemails. And there's a message from his dad saying he's okay, something's happened, he's being told to stay where he is. And another message plays a few minutes later from his dad again, saying he's okay, firemen should be coming, and then there's just, like, kind of chaos. And Oscar, throughout the movie, refers to this as the worst day. So the image of him listening to these messages is so heartbreaking because he's gotten home from school. He obviously doesn't understand the context. He just knows he's home early and he's like eating a snack and listening to this. Like he's home alone. Mm -hmm. And like, you can tell he doesn't really understand what's going on. Right. Like he knows something is bad. Right. Because he got let out of school early. Like the adults wouldn't tell them exactly what was happening. And I found this part really interesting because he is nine in the movie and that's the exact age I was on 9-11 so it was kind of like reminding me of what it felt like to be that age but obviously I wasn't in New York City and experiencing this firsthand Mm -hmm. but just sort of put me on that mindset of like I know how little he knew I also on 9-11 like our teachers didn't tell us what was going on we knew something bad was happening but they didn't tell us what so I can kind of relate to that feeling of fear that you know something isn't right but you know you don't know yeah, I was also nine on 9-11, and I, I felt the same way. I mean, obviously, we were not in New York. We were in Illinois. But mm-hmm. I do remember my fourth grade teacher putting on the TV, mm. like putting on the news in our classroom, which in hindsight, I'm like, would I have done that if I were a fourth grade teacher? But I, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. So Yeah, I heard a lot of people did that. So I like kind of saw it, but obviously, like you can't, as a child, conceptualize that level of destruction or loss of life right. or like what that means, what you're actually watching. So I remember just going home and like my parents being very upset and, you know, it doesn't really set in until later. Right. So we flash forward. It's a year after Oscar's dad's death and it's the first time he's gone into his dad's closet and everything looks like it's just remained as is. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of going through some of his dad's pockets and he finds a newspaper clipping with not stop looking circled, like those words were circled in the clipping, which he thinks is like a sign to himself. And he starts pulling things off the top shelf of the closet. 
He's just searching for a message from his dad, and he ends up knocking a vase down from the top shelf with shatters, and a small envelope with a key inside falls out. So he's very excited about this. This seems like another part of his scavenger hunt or some Mm -hmm. untold message from his dad. So he uses his walkie-talkie to talk to his grandma, who lives across the street from them, and it's like the most precious precious thing. Like, I love their relationship. Mm -hmm. And... We learn that his grandmother has kind of a mysterious renter living in her apartment with her that grandma just warns Oscar to stay away from. So Oscar really wants to figure out what's going on with this key. So he fakes it to investigate the key. And he seems like a very truthful kid. And so he starts to count his lies as he starts this investigation because this isn't something he usually does. So he goes to a locksmith, and the locksmith tells him it's for some type of lockbox from, like, 20 to 30 years ago. So Oscar asks really good questions about how to find who made it or what lock it fits, and the only thing the locksmith notices is that the envelope has the word black written on it. Also, Oscar is just so resourceful in this. Like, this is the first glimpse we're getting into his investigation. And you already said I love the questions he asks, but also he's, like, low-key hilarious and very sassy to people which I love Mm -hmm. one person asked like why aren't you in school and he's like they said I know too much already (laughs) I love that yeah I love it and he is so resourceful like would I have taken a key would I still today take a key to a locksmith to find out what it belongs to no no I'm the person you know how many keys I have sitting (laughs) in my console table that I don't know what they go to oh I was just gonna say I'm the kind of this is we're two different people because of this If I find keys I don't know what they belong to, I throw them away, which is so irresponsible because, like, what if I need them someday? But usually I'm like, throw them away. I'm like, if this is to a lock, I would know. And at this point, I've either lost the lock, and therefore, what am I going to do with these keys? Or if it's like an important key, I store it appropriately. You would know. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I have like a pile of keys that I'm like, some might be spare keys to my apartment. Some, it's like a pile of keys I need to look at, but I haven't yet. Fair. Kayla's helped me figure out a few that I thought I didn't have, like, <laughs> keys to, like, our storage room. He's trying to stay quiet. That's because you kept getting, like, backhandedly mad at me for you not having a backdoor key. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's right there. <laughs> that happened, yes. And then you were the one getting really mad at it. And then I had to be the one to go down to the back door and actually check and be like, yep, this is a backdoor key. That I gave you when we moved in. You're right. And I so appreciate that you did that. (laughs) (laughs) That did happen. Exactly like Gail said. I was going to say, I don't think I'm mistelling that. Nope. (laughs) It's like overwhelming and I'm like, I know I need to deal with this, but I'm not going to do it right now. Allie has a pile of keys and she doesn't know where they belong to. (laughs) It's fine. That's who she is. It's a little bit of chaos in my life. Yeah. Anyway, Oscar becomes obsessed with figuring out what this key goes to because it makes him feel connected to his dad and he wants to, what he says, stretch his time with his dad, which is heartbreaking. I cannot. So he figures that the word black must be a name. So he looks up everyone with the name black in the phone book and there's over 400, which honestly in New York City, I feel like it's not that many. Actually, that's kind of true. Yeah. But Anyway, he starts making lists of people by borough, plotting out where they all live on a very detailed map of New York. So organized. I would love to hire this kid. (laughs) So he packs up his expedition backpack full of what he calls essentials, which include a tambourine to keep him calm, 
binoculars, Fig Newtons, always prepared, and he practices karate before he goes. <laughs> so cute. Do you like Fig Newtons? I do. Do you? I did not as a child, but now, yes. Oh, interesting. Now I'm like, mm, a sweet adult cookie. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't feel bad about eating it. As a kid, I was like, why are you putting fruit in my freaking cookie? So true. Like, give me the chips away. <laughs> yeah. Now as an adult, I'm like, it's a loophole. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So as he's leaving his apartment, his mom asks where he's going. And he lies and he says he's going to a comic book convention. And she lets him go, but says to keep his phone on him so she can get a hold of him if needed. And immediately, we have in our notes, we're like, isn't he super young to be, like, going around New York City alone? Like, this is not the 80s. Right. Also to a comic book convention? There's, like, right. a like, lot of people Accompany your child. Yeah. He's nine. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. So immediately, sorry to say, we have a little judgment for Sandra Bullock's character. That's true. I think that's a pretty common New York thing. New Yorkers expect their kids to be pretty self-sufficient in the city. That's true. It could be different for a city kid. But still, that's very young to, like, casually tell your mom you're going out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) See ya, mom. Bye. Did you ever, like, sneak out of your house when you were little or go anywhere without telling your mom when you were young? No. I never snuck out. I did one time get caught for going somewhere when I said I was going somewhere else because my mom saw me driving. (laughs) Alexandra, I'm honestly shocked. You're probably the most truthful person on earth. Yeah, it was like a little lie of omission. I didn't tell her I was going to see a boy before I hung out with my friends. Oh, just a quick pit stop. (laughs) We were doing homework. (laughs) And then I also, I did not sneak out, but after a school dance, I had everybody come over and hang out at my house. And we had a basement that was like, you know, where we would hang out with our friends. And there was a certain curfew, I don't remember what it was, where the boys had to go home and they were staying at one of my friend's houses down the street. We were staying at my house. So after the curfew, like they left and then they came back like 30 minutes later and snuck back in. And my mom found that out too. That's like the worst thing I did. And honestly, like if you knew my friends in high school, it was like the most innocent group of kids. Like we were not drinking. We were just like hanging out. It was extremely innocent. <laughs> But I hear my mom, like, open the door and yell down the stairs, Alexandra Tamar. <laughs> and then everybody just, like, bolted. <laughs> oh, I love it. What about you? Um, We got a puppy when I was in kindergarten, Maggie. And my mom has a piano studio that she's always running out of our house. And so she would always be teaching, like, after school. And I used to, like, six, seven years old, used to sneak out the back door with Maggie to take her on a walk, like, around our block. And I, yeah, I have, like, such vivid memories of doing that. That's so cute. Do you think your mom knew? Honestly, probably not, because I don't think she could see. Yeah. We, like, kind of lived up on a hill. And then as a teenager, like, if we had sleepovers and we were sleeping in the basement, my girlfriends and I were, like, in the basement, we would just go walk around the neighborhood at night, which. Right, right. You like, know. you felt so rebellious then. But. Felt so rebellious, yeah. Right. But wasn't really. <laughs> that was about it. You know, if you guys have any more exciting stories, we'd love to hear. That's one thing we should ask on Instagram. Like, Ooh, that's a good one. stories. Yes. I'm sure people have more exciting ones than me. Oh, yeah. And you. Same. No offense. No. None, <laughs> none taken. I know who I am. <laughs> okay, so Oscar's on his mission. He's out in New York alone. And he says he won't let anything stop him, even himself. And he kind of lists through all these things he's scared of, which is a lot of things. And understandably, some of these things are 
people looking up, towers, airplanes, tunnels. So he seemed to already be scared of things before his father's death. And at this point, he's just suffering PTSD in addition to that. Right. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. And he has this flashback to his dad taking him on the swings and trying to encourage him to be brave and try new things. But Oscar isn't really interested because it's not safe. So even then, like, you kind of see that he he kind of felt mm-hmm. that way about things. So there's this big kind of, like, climactic scene where he briefly crosses a bridge, which is one of his fears. And he goes to a house and rings the doorbell, trying the key to no avail. Can you imagine just, like, hearing a key? Hearing someone, like, trying to unlock your door? It's terrifying. <laughs> So Viola Davis, of all people, answers the door, and Oscar asks if she knew his father, and she lets him inside after he says he's thirsty, and he asks for an iced coffee with (laughs) half and half. I'm like, respect, kid. Yes. Iced coffee (laughs) year-round. I love it. And he starts quoting elephant facts to her because he sees, like, an elephant painting in her foyer, and her husband is yelling, and there's moving boxes everywhere. And she's kind of, like, inquiring who the heck this kid is. And he tells her he got tested for Asperger's, but results were not definitive. And he also tells her about the key and his dad, but she doesn't seem to know anything about it. And Oscar asks if he can take her picture before leaving. So he's like, is it a Polaroid or a just regular camera? It's like an old-fashioned camera. I don't remember if it's an actual Polaroid camera. I don't think so. Okay. So this is kind of like, the first person Oscar meets trying to figure mm-hmm. out the key. So we flash back to 9-11 again. And after he heard the voicemail from his dad, he had gone to hide under his bed. And his grandma comes over from across the street and finds him. And she just lays on the ground under his bed and waits with him until his mom gets home, which is really sweet. Mm-hmm. So his mom gets home asking if his dad called, if there were any messages. And he says no. <gasps> Oscar. Poor kid. Yeah. So in the middle of the night, Oscar runs off and gets a new answering machine to replace the old one from like a store down the street. And his voiceover is, now no one will ever have to listen to them like I did, just like nothing ever happened. Oh, it's so sad. It is. I can't imagine. And I also think like, don't you think if you were Sandy, you would be like incessantly checking the answering machine yourself? Right. Even if he'd said no, I would have gone and looked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's nine. Like, what if he missed it or something? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, I still have that question, but I like that they address the fact that, okay, he did replace the answering machine. We also see him like re-recording the message, which you get the sense that he records a message every day because he gives like a fun fact of the day. Mm-hmm. So you can get over it if you're like, okay, let's say she didn't check again that day, you know, then she wouldn't know. Right. I kind of like that this early in the movie, they kind of set up that like missing link between the two of them that yes, Oscar was ultimately trying to protect his mom mm-hmm. to not hear the messages. And his mom is grieving because she never heard the messages. Right. She's like, he never even called. So we know that Oscar eventually took the original answering machine and he kind of built a sort of shrine to his dad and his wardrobe. And we often throughout the movie see him in there just listening to the messages over and over again, which is, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so sad. I mean, I understand the comfort of hearing his voice, but reliving that moment over and over again seems awful. Exactly. And you're like, if you had just told your mom, like, someone could help you deal with this or, like, do it in a healthy way. Uh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So back in the present again, Oscar goes to leave again. His mom just seems exhausted. She is clearly grieving. She doesn't seem to have a ton of energy to help Oscar. And he leaves, but he kind of seems reluctant to leave her because he realizes 
she's depressed. And, like, he doesn't seem like a very lovey-dovey child. Right. So after he leaves this time, he kind of gets down on the ground and looks under the door. And she notices his shadow. And she also gets down on the floor. And he just calls through the door, I love you. And she just sobs on the other side silently. And literally, I didn't even realize I wrote this in my notes. And the second time we watched this today, I did the same thing. I... (laughs) I wrote in my notes, I was like, I screamed, say it back through tears at this point, which I literally just reenacted that scene myself (laughs) as we rewatched this. But like, she doesn't say it back, but I think it's because she's so emotional. She like doesn't want him to hear her voice, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But then you hear him even wonder why, like, oh, maybe I just couldn't hear her. Yeah, it's very sad. There seems to be this kind of chasm between Oscar and his mom. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they both love each other, but you definitely get the sense that dad was kind of the glue to the family, and he was the one who understood Oscar the most. And Oscar even voices over that whenever he left, he felt lighter because he was closer to his dad, but also heavier because he was getting further from his mom. So <sighs> Oscar seems kind of torn. Yes, and because, like, he was lying to her. Yeah. A lot of heavy emotions for a nine-year-old to be going through. Yeah. So... Oscar continues on his journey, going to visit more people with the last name of Black, asking if they knew his dad, if they have any boxes that the key would fit in, and he kind of logs all this information, very organized in a journal. And he's kind of like making friends with all these people along Mm -hmm. the way. He kind of does different activities with them. He's just kind of seamlessly fitting into their lives for a brief moment and then exiting. But he says he's not actually really interested in all that. (laughs) He's really just there to obviously answer his question. So he calculates at this rate, it will take him three years to get to all the blocks in the phone book, which was really frustrating to him. I love the way his brain works in terms of all of his puzzle solving and sleuthing skills. Like he's very matter of fact. He's very like down to business about it. Mm -hmm. So one night Oscar wakes up his mom in the middle of the night asking her to promise not to bury him when he dies. He wants to be in a mausoleum above the ground. And she's like, What's been going on? Why won't you talk to me? And he accuses her of being an absent parent. And then he has a meltdown about his dad and where his dad's body is and how his dad's atoms are now just in New York. And he hates that they buried an empty box. And so obviously you're, you're gathering here that his dad's body was not recovered. Right. They couldn't have a I guess, proper funeral for him as a result. And so his mom obviously also loses it yelling that it doesn't make sense, trying to tell him it will never make sense what happened to his dad, and that just doesn't work for Oscar's practical brain. Like, he's just having trouble processing Mm -hmm. how this is even possible. And he tells his mom that he wishes it were her who were in the building that day, which is... (sighs) Devastating. And doubly devastating as she says, so do I. I'm crying again. (laughs) Wait, it gets worse. I know. He immediately is like, I didn't really mean that. And she says, yes, you did. She says it sadder and yes, yes. almost nicer than I just said it. Like she's like resigned to the fact that like, yes, you did. Yeah, you meant it. It's okay yeah. that you meant it. Right. There clearly is a big miss between the two of them. But I do love that there's like this sense of honesty. I mean, despite the fact that Oscar's completely lying to her. But like in this moment, there's like this moment of honesty where it's just like, No, I know that's how you feel right now, and that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, this next scene I think is the worst in the movie. I think I actually might cry because I'm reading it now. Uh, Okay. Tag me in if you need me to. Okay. Kale, just put in some, like, elevator music if we just need a moment, okay? (laughs) 
Okay. So we flash back to 9-11 and Linda gets a call from her husband on her cell phone while she's at work. Linda is Oscar's mom, Sandra Bullock. And he tells her that he is at the World Trade Center on the 105th floor for a meeting. Can you imagine? She didn't know. She didn't know. He did not work at the World Trade Center. He had the jewelry store. He was not supposed to be there that day. And her demeanor is like calm on the outside, but you can tell inside that she's panicked. She's devastated. And the first tower has been hit. And from her office view, she can see what's happening. Yes. It's awful. And so she's looking out the window at the burning towers and she's just begging him to find a staircase and to not wait for firemen. She's like, get out of the building, find a staircase. And he keeps just calmly assuring her that he'll be fine and that he loves her. It's horrible. It's just the emotion that she puts into it, even though like on the outside, she is calm. She's like shaking, but you're in a way you're like, how are you not just like going more crazy? But she's just like begging him. Please come home. Please stay on the phone with me. Like, just please keep talking to me. Please keep talking to me. It is, it just puts you into that moment. Ugh. Yeah, the fact that she is watching it. She's on the phone with him. She's so helpless. Oh, no. (sighs) Oh, no. We're breaking down. Gail. Gail. Background music. Help. (laughs) We can cut this part out. (laughs) I mean, it's awful. Like, yeah, it's awful. Don't cut it out. It's emotional. It's it's yeah, very it's emotional. True. Like that's how you will feel if you watch this movie too. Like if you've seen it, you know. Like you are crying off and on like the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so present day again. Oscar radios his grandmother on his walkie-talkie, and there's no response. But we see lights flash across the street in her apartment. It seems like he and his grandmother, like, kind of communicate via Morse code sometimes that way. Like, they have a fun relationship. And he walks across the street to check on her, tambourine in hand, to keep him calm. And he confronts this mysterious renter who writes on a notepad that he does not speak. Renter's vibes are a little creepy. And he just writes that grandma is, quote-unquote, out. (laughs) And that the renter and Oscar could wait together. Honestly, this movie could take a turn. The renter could have killed Grandma. We would have a whole different movie. Seriously. The first time we watched this, I was like, what What is happening? Yeah. Very weird. So Oscar kind of like vets him, asks him a million questions, tries to get him to speak, and he's like getting annoyed that he's silent. And the man refuses to tell Oscar his kind of background story, why he doesn't speak. But Oscar asks if he can tell his story to this mute man. And he just kind of word vomits everything that's happened to him. Mm -hmm. I love this scene. Mm -hmm. This, I think, is maybe my favorite scene in the movie. His monologue throughout this is so good. It's just reciting basically everything that he's been going through and how he feels about it. And this kid's acting, Thomas Hornis's name, I think is incredible. I agree. I think this scene is one of the best in the movie. Just amazing how he verbalizes everything. It's so compelling, even though it's information that you like already know. Just right. the way it's presented is so good. Yeah, and at, it's like as he's finishing one phrase, they start his next phrase over it, and you can feel this like chaotic energy and his pent up. Like he's having all of these emotions. He's nine years old. He doesn't know how to handle them. I mean, I don't think anyone knows how to handle these emotions at any age. So I just think the way that they portrayed that was. Very cool. And it seems like, especially for his character, who is 
very apprehensive around new people mm-hmm. and probably hasn't had the opportunity to talk to a therapist or right. talk about what's happened to him. Like having this warm body who can listen to him but not offer any judgment or feedback on it is exactly what he needs. Right. So true. So he finishes this monologue and he says, it hurts so much. Sometimes I'm afraid I might do something bad. And the renter writes down and asks bad. And Oscar shows him these marks on his side where he pinches himself when he listens to his dad's voicemail, which is really upsetting. And the renter, (laughs) the renter then just writes down that he's going to bed and to not tell grandma that they met, (laughs) like does not address the situation at all. Yeah. You're like, uh, what? Mm-hmm. And so is Oscar. He's kind of looking at him like, okay, well, I guess I wasn't expecting that reaction. <laughs> right. Very unexpected. But then the renter, like, shuts his door, but he writes a note and slips it under the door asking if Oscar wants his help because he's explained this whole lock situation. And Oscar seems uncertain but tells him to meet him Saturday at 7 a.m. <laughs> it's not really start on a Saturday. Yeah. So they meet that Saturday. Oscar gives him all the rules to everyday life and this adventure. And he wants the man to answer 16 questions about himself so Oscar can make sure he's like a trustworthy (laughs) companion for this expedition. And the man convinces Oscar to take the subway, even though he's scared. So this whole time, Oscar's been walking 40 (laughs) blocks at a time to get to these people. But the old man says or writes down he physically can't do that. Yeah. So Oscar puts on a gas mask. And reluctantly gets on the subway. And the man eventually gets him to take the mask off on the train by getting Oscar to name oxymorons, which is something that Oscar and his dad used to do. So there's this flashback earlier in the movie where Oscar's dad had said that his parents were from Germany and then his dad disappeared. And you kind of assume maybe that was during the war when he got involved in some bad stuff. And when Oscar had seen the old man's room, there were notepad sheets on the wall with German written on them. So at this point, we like kind of started to hypothesize that maybe this is his long lost grandfather. Dun, dun, dun. And because of the whole, I mean, the oxymoron thing, him saying that his dad used to do that. Right, right. So old man and Oscar come to a rickety bridge. Oscar's obviously terrified to cross it, but the renter gets him to do so by leaving a note a few steps onto the bridge that says, if you cross the bridge, I'll tell you my story convincing mm-hmm. as oscar tries to find another black residence the renter wanders off into a bar but leaves notes with arrows to direct oscar to him and at the bar he's written down his story which says i lived in many places but i was born in germany after the war i got married there was a child but i was too afraid to be a father both my parents were killed by a bomb when i was young So Oscar kind of reads this and absorbs it and says he'd like the man to come with him from then on. And the old man, he kind of just shrugs like Oscar's father used to do. You see Tom Hanks kind of do that shrug motion in a lot of the flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And he voices over. He notices that Mm -hmm. that was the same action his dad did. Mm -hmm. And on the bus home, so now they've taken the subway and the bus, (laughs) Oscar shares his juice box with the renter. And it's very sweet that he's kind of opening up his space to him. He just, like, shoves a little juice box straw in the guy's mouth as he's sleeping. Yes. <laughs> Side note, we never find out if Grandma's actually okay. Where did she go? We don't know. Yeah. And they've been doing this at this point for, like, months together on Saturdays and Sundays. And right at this point, you haven't seen anything from Sandra Bullock's character expressing yeah, concern, hello, Mom. questions, nothing. Yeah, what? 
So their weekend searches for this mysterious black residence continue. It's very cute. And they definitely enjoy each other's company, even though Oscar is obsessive in his quest and he's super impatient with this guy. Mm-hmm. So Oscar eventually asks the man if he thinks the key actually fits a lock. And the man says yes, signals yes. He's still not talking. He's like, well, do you think we'll actually find it? And the man says no. Oh. So Oscar's also starting to think that this man is his grandfather because of his similarities to his dad. And he takes the man to his apartment. His mom is not home. Just bringing strange men into the apartment. And this is very sad. He shows the man photos from 9-11 that he printed from the internet. And there's this infamous photo from 9-11 of a man jumping from the towers and just Mm -hmm. falling. And Oscar is convinced that the falling man is his dad. And he seems aware that other kids probably think that that's their dad, too. Which is, like, such a wise thought for that kid to have. Like, you get the childlike side of him thinking, that must be my dad. But then you get this other side of him where he's so intelligent. He's like, you know what? I'm sure every kid thinks that. And it's just, how does a nine-year-old think like that? Like, every kid who lost their parent on that day was so desperate to, like, have a concrete answer of what happened yes. looks to that photo because it's the only thing. Right. Awful. Horrible. Okay. Me and the elevator music. Okay. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, another big thing that happens is Oscar plays the voicemails for the man and this is something he has never shared with anyone. And he plays the messages and Oscar has figured out where he was at each moment of the message on his way home from school. Yes, like he literally goes back and calculates, this is how long it takes me to walk from here to there. I must have been at this exact spot at the time of this call. Mm -hmm. So by the third message, we can tell that Oscar's dad is struggling from smoke. And the fourth message is his dad saying how much he loves him. And at this point, we have not heard all of these messages yet. We've only heard the Mm -hmm. first like two or three. The fifth message is more of his dad just saying, hello, hello, and struggling to breathe. And the sixth message, was at 1027, and the North Tower collapsed at 1028. But the renter tells Oscar no, no more, and walks away before he can play it. And the old man writes, no more searching. So. It's a lot to take in. And clearly you can see the renter understands that this is a huge burden. I don't know if that's the right word that Oscar is carrying. It's emotionally taxing for him. Yes, yes, exactly. That Oscar is carrying this. Like, he acknowledges that this isn't good for him. Mm -hmm. Like, to keep listening over and over. That's one of the things that he writes down. So I think it's just, I mean, it's overwhelming. Even the renter, the, feels funny calling him that. Even the the man, he was just like, I I can't handle this. Yeah. I also need to say, anytime I'm saying, okay, uh, it's just me not trying not to cry. So it's not a a dismissal of the moment. (laughs) Right. Okay. I also love the subtlety when they first get into Oscar's apartment. The grandpa's looking at photos of Thomas and Oscar. Thomas is Oscar's Mm. dad. And he has this really sad smile on. Like, and if you have the hypothesis that we do during this time Mm -hmm. that he's the grandfather, it just, the look on his face just looks like I've missed so much. Right. Kind of wistful. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't just rewatch this movie. Okay. That'd be a disaster right now. It might have been better that I watched it because maybe I got most of my tears out. (laughs) That's true. I don't know. (laughs) This was a good balance. (laughs) So 
Oscar later is looking at his grandmother's apartment and he sees that his grandmother is upset with the renter and the renter is putting a suitcase in a cab and Oscar runs downstairs. He wants to know what's going on. And the man writes, wanted to help you, but I'm hurting you. And Oscar's upset. He's yelling that he knows he's his grandfather. He won't miss him. And that his dad was the best dad because his grandfather was the worst. Very sad parting. It is, but I like that for how intellectually savvy this kid is and how level-headed he is most of the time, I like that they give him these moments of, he's a kid. Yeah. He lashes out emotionally when he's hurting. Right. In a way that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know? Completely agree. So Oscar is back in his room. He's looking at the newspaper clipping he always keeps that his dad had left with the never stop searching or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he realizes a number has been circled for an estate sale kind of on the other side of it. So he calls it and it's Abby Black, who is Viola Davis, who he met at the very beginning of the movie. Mm. And he goes to her place and she takes him to see her ex-husband, who is the one who had the estate sale. If you remember when he first met her character, Viola Davis and her husband were kind of in the middle of a divorce. Things were moving out, etc. So she takes him to her husband, and Oscar has to go to the 32nd office floor alone, which is a big deal for him. Mm -hmm. And it's the evening. I think this guy's like a, he works with companies in Japan, so he's kind of working at night. So Oscar goes to the office. He introduces himself to the man, gives the details of why he's there, asking what the man knows about his father. And have to note, this guy is Jeffrey Wright, who plays Bernard in Westworld, if you're an HBO Westworld fan. And the man knows about the key. (laughs) And um, he says it was in a vase, and he's been looking for that key for a year because it's for a safety deposit box. And the man says his father also passed away a few years ago and wrote a bunch of letters to family members telling them all the stuff he never told them. And... It took him a while to read the letter that his father had addressed to him, but when he finally read it, it said there was something he wanted to give him, and it was a blue vase with something in it. And he had accidentally already sold the vase in an estate sale to Oscar's dad, who had bought it as an anniversary present for Linda. Can you imagine him opening that letter and realizing, I need to know what's in that vase? And I sold it to someone in New York before a terrorist attack. Like, you're never going to find it. Yeah. And he says he's been searching for it. And they, I mean, they even show in the movie, like, he tried to find it, but he said, he's like, you know, everybody was thinking about something else very soon after that. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, I just have to say, too, I love that this involves something with this guy's dad. I love that, too. So Oscar has this moment of internal reflection, and I think in a very mature move, he gives Mr. Black the key. Mm -hmm. And... Mr. Black offers to take Oscar with him to the bank to find out what's in the safety deposit box and share it. You know, he's like, we can split whatever's in there, which is very sweet because he can tell how much this means to Oscar, but Oscar says no. And Oscar tells Mr. Black, um, he says, oh, no, I forgot about (laughs) this. Oh, Allie. You need me to jump in? Pulled her hood up. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Okay, Oscar tells Mr. Black something he's never told anyone else. That after he got home and heard the messages, he also heard the phone ring, and he didn't answer it because he was scared. And it was the sixth message, and it's his dad asking nine times, Are you there? And he's saying, he's like, I... 
I think he was saying you. I wonder why he didn't say, is someone there? But he said, I think he knew it was me. And he was giving me the chance to be brave and answer the phone, but I just couldn't do it. And the phone cuts off as the tower collapses because as we know, the tower collapsed a minute after that phone call. Mm -hmm. We're both crying. gosh okay I have to say we watched this movie like not recently and just reading our notes I'm very emotional so you need to watch this movie yes. if you haven't you need to watch it yeah absolutely even if you feel like we're giving it all away here trust me you will be moved by it no you will be moved and the acting alone is like I think so good yeah that it's worth the watch so Oscar is clearly guilt-ridden by not answering the phone saying he wanted to but he just couldn't do it and Oscar asks Mr. Black to forgive him for not being able to tell anyone about this. Like, this nine-year-old is caring so much. So much. And you can just tell. I love to... Jeffrey Wright is only in this for a few minutes. But, like, I think his acting in this is really good, too. Because, I mean, he doesn't know this kid. You assume maybe his wife, or now ex-wife, told him about the initial visit. Because it's so weird that that happened. Mm -hmm. But this is essentially a strange kid who comes into his office at work and shares something so personal. And just the look on his face when Oscar asks for his forgiveness, he's just like so taken aback and can tell that there is a lot going on for this kid. I think too, like, though at that time, People were so compassionate towards each other and mm -hmm. kind and, like, very empathetic, regardless of whether it was related to 9-11 or not. And so I feel like this guy who just went through this divorce, which may or may not have been related to 9-11, we don't know, just, like, feels for this kid and doesn't ask right. questions. He just goes along with it and yes. realizes he's had this, like, great loss and needs closure and gives it to him. Right. And he's like, of course I forgive you. It's just so sweet. And the way that Oscar says, you have no idea. He says something like, you have no idea how much better that makes me feel. Yeah, he instantly starts to feel better. Yeah, it's almost like after this whole journey of him trying to find this key and ultimately finding out the key wasn't even meant for him, it's still almost like everything personifies his dad. Like, mm -hmm. I think him asking Mr. Black that is really him asking his dad for forgiveness and just being able to have a person say it back. And a person who somehow was connected to his dad and met his dad before, I think is just like one thing that Oscar needed. Mm -hmm. So Oscar tells him, I hope you find what you're looking for in regards to Mr. Black's dad and says he has to go and just freaking books it out of this building. <laughs> and Mr. Black chases after him, runs into obviously his ex-wife in the empty foyer because it's like 10 p.m. And... Oscar bolts from the building, sprints away. He's obviously very upset. And he goes home. He destroys all of his maps. He's screaming until Linda, his mom, finally intervenes. She tries to calm him down. And he says he's trying to get better and he wants to be normal. Which is just so sad for a kid to feel that way. And she tells him she's proud of him and that his dad would have been too. And <laughs> are you going to cry? No, I'm bouncing because oh. I know it's coming. I love oh, this yeah. part. <laughs> and she says she knows what he's been up to. 
She would never let him do all this stuff on his own for so long. She saw everything he did. She stayed a step ahead of him by going to see all the people he was going to see before he saw them to tell them about what her son was up to, which is probably why all these people were so open to him coming into their (laughs) homes and, like, sharing their lives with him. Right. And it's just this, like, super sweet moment that, like, you realize she hasn't been an absent parent. She was letting him have this adventure and connect with his dad while still being responsible (laughs) and making sure it was safe. And... (laughs) She was giving him the space he needed to, like, grieve with it. It's just very... It's so it's touching. Awesome. Yeah. It's so, so cool. And they kind of bond over the people that they got to meet. And it turns out his mom was the one who orchestrated certain things. Like, Oscar got to ride in a bulldozer and yeah. all the stuff that, like, <laughs> these people just seemingly invited him to do in their everyday lives right. when he showed up. I keep getting the chills as you're talking. <laughs> so Oscar says, I thought only dad could think like me. And she says, me too. But Oscar recognizes that most people that he met along the way have also lost people, Mm -hmm. whether it was from 9-11 or not. Mm -hmm. And they talk about, they finally seem to have an honest conversation about what they miss about dad. It's so sweet. They're like finally on the same page. Yeah. And she says she misses his voice telling her he loves her. And he says, mom, you can fall in love again if you want, which is so sweet, but like, I think almost like a misplaced line for this moment, considering everything they've been through. I don't know. Seems out of character for him to say that. I think that just shows them connecting, though. Like, he's gotten to a place where he's okay with all the questions that he had that he can, like, think about his mom for a second. Mm. Okay, that's true. So I think the natural thought here is, do you think she actually knew about the answering machine at that point in his wardrobe shrine? Yeah, I think once we found out, she knew everything he was doing. And, like, we see scenes of her going around New York to the places he's going to go. And, like, we see her looking in his room. And she, like, told him. So I have to think that she must have been looking in his room prior to that and, like, would Mm -hmm. have seen the shrine to his dad. The only thing I wonder is if she had seen the answering machine, I don't know, maybe she would have said something because I do think it could turn into something unhealthy if someone is listening to that all the time. So I don't know. I guess maybe there's a chance she didn't see it. I just talked myself out of my original answer to your question. (laughs) What do you think? I don't know. I I feel like she must have seen it. I feel like she had to have. Yeah. For her to show that she was actually so concerned about him. Right. She was more present than we thought. Yeah. She must have known about it. So Oscar writes a letter to anyone he's met along this journey. And we actually see that Viola Davis and her husband, Mr. and Mrs. Black, are together again, which is exciting. And he thanks them for their help or the things that they gave him. He updates everyone on the outcome of the key. And he says he used to think he couldn't live without his dad. But now he knows he can, and he thinks that would make his dad proud. And we see Linda reading Oscar's account of his expedition which he calls extremely loud and incredibly close. Mm. And Oscar writes a letter to the renter, his grandpa, asking him to come home. And grandma gives him the address of where the renter has gone. Mm -hmm. And we also see Oscar go back to the swings his dad tried to get him to ride on. And in the swing, tucked under it in some way, he finds a note from his dad saying that he (sighs) solved the mystery of the sixth burrow. And... Oscar finally attempts to swing for the first time, 
And I love this. The cinematography of him swinging on it on the swing is so amazing because it's unlike anything else in the movie. It's so like I feel like you feel the weight that's lifted off his shoulders in that moment. Yes. And you feel like you're swinging with him. I just I love the way that they did that. Mm-hmm. And then we find out Grandpa did come back. He's waiting in the stairwell of Grandpa's apartment. And she seems to allow him back in by, like, allowing him to help carrying groceries. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a, a silent exchange. Obviously, he doesn't speak. Yeah. And he just looks, like, so happy. And the movie ends with Oscar swinging and smiling. Mm. Okay. Uh, I'm at a loss for words. I love this movie. I think it's so touching. I think they did a really good job of being respectful of the emotions that come along with something so tragic and also doing it in a way that felt relatable even for those of us who may not have experienced it in such a firsthand way as to what they're showing on screen. I also love that they show this through Oscar's perspective and point of view Mm -hmm. because that is how a whole generation experienced that day and the outcome of it and it's never I mean, like we both said earlier, like we both very much related to his, obviously at a very different scale. Right. But related in a sense to his experience of trying to understand what was going on that day and his age at the time. So I just like that it's not so straightforward. It's very complicated. Mm -hmm. He's dealing with adult thoughts in a child's body, essentially. I just liked it a lot. Yeah. One thing I loved about that too is obviously... When the movie opens, it immediately opens with his voiceover, and he's doing a lot of voiceovers throughout it. So you know it's told from his perspective. But I found myself the first time I watched this, I didn't really realize how much of a childlike perspective it was until we kind of zoom out and we all of a sudden get to see Sandra Bullock's side of the story. Mm-hmm. And then it was, it's like all of a sudden you're like, whoa, okay, there's been all these other things happening. And we've just been in the bubble of Oscar's mind, which I think was such a cool way to show the movie and then break the bubble towards the end. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned his name before, Thomas Horn, who played Oscar. Amazing actor. Had never acted before. He won Kids Jeopardy Week and was just approached by producers based on his quiz show appearance. Which is insane to me because when I saw this, I was like, this is like one of the best child actors I've ever seen. Right. He's literally just a Jeopardy winner, which also, by the way, probably means he actually is as smart as his character. (laughs) Yeah. Was he nominated for any awards for this? Yeah. So he was, let's see, I don't think any like huge awards, but he was nominated and won the Broadcast Film Critics Association Awards for Best Young Actor. And the Phoenix Film Critics Society, Best Performance by a Youth in a Lead Role, and Breakthrough Performance on Camera. So definitely some smaller awards here. However, there was apparently a lot of talk about this being a big contender at the Academy Awards. But it turns out this film actually ended up being pretty polarizing to critics and viewers. So it ended up actually not being nominated for a lot of the major awards. I know we haven't reviewed this movie yet, but I'm shocked that Crash won Best Picture and this wasn't even nominated. Wait, no, no, no. This was, I think it was nominated. Oh, okay. okay. But not for as many as they thought. Okay. Well, anyway, Thomas Horn's amazing. (laughs) And Sandra Bullock in interviews also talked about how amazing he was. She 
obviously was working with him, but did not even coach him that much. And he just had this like amazing energy. I don't know if he's actually been in anything else after this. Oh, I was going to look that up. Give me one second. Okay. So to clarify for the Academy Awards, this was nominated for Best Picture and for Best Supporting Actor by Max von I might pronounce his name wrong, Sado, who played the renter, but was largely ignored by all the other major awards. And they did not win either for the Academy Awards. Hmm. And then Thomas Horn has not been in anything else besides this in Jeopardy as himself. That's so crazy. Cause he I know. If he wanted to, he could have. Right. Like so good. Hmm. And since we were talking about Max von Sado, I also thought his acting was really good considering he couldn't speak throughout the movie Mm -hmm. and side note he is 90 years old today so that means for this movie he was 80 years old about oh my goodness crazy it's impressive yeah I feel like we have to touch on the fact that this only got a 46 percent on Rotten Tomatoes like you said this was a very polarizing film like you loved it or you hated it right and I, I think it's I don't know I was trying to read through some of the reviews to understand people who didn't like it And I think there was like two camps of people, either people who just did not get it. Like there was one reviewer who was like extremely long and incredibly boring. And I'm like, okay, you have no heart. What? (laughs) They just did not understand what the movie was going for. And then there's other people I think who I think with any subject matter like this, that first of all is based on a very real and very tragic event that didn't happen all that long ago when this movie came out. I think it kind of makes sense that people might be turned off from it because it is a really hard subject. And there's probably, I mean, we thought it was portrayed well, but we also said we didn't experience it firsthand. So maybe people who did or who had different experiences with that day maybe didn't find the portrayal to be, you know, reflective of their experience, which I would completely understand that's valid. But I think that's why it's so polarizing. Yeah, I I can see from that perspective where we really like this movie mm-hmm. even now as full-blown adults because we can relate to that age at that time right. period. But if we were 28, 29 at the time that 9-11 happened, we probably would have had a very different experience and maybe we that's wouldn't true. appreciate a child's perspective on that day. Yeah, that's true. So I guess I get that. Yeah. And this is based off of the novel, which also had pretty polarizing reception as well. Mm-hmm. I think overall, obviously, we really liked this considering our high rating. And I liked at the end, it felt very hopeful without being too cheesy. I liked that the key wasn't meant for him. I think it was like a huge learning experience for him. But I also love that they gave him the note from his dad. Like, I I love that he found that on the swing and that, you know, gave him a last little message from his dad. I think that was really sweet. Mm -hmm. It feels very hopeful at the end. The only thing that felt like a mystery that I would have appreciated more on would be about the grandfather because Mm. it doesn't feel like a plot hole, but it's very intriguing. I'm like, what happened to you during World War II that you just disappeared? And who bad were you involved with? Were you on the wrong side of that war? Right. Like we really want you around. (laughs) Why don't you talk anymore? You know, lots lots of questions. They could have made like a whole spinoff movie about it. Did Oscar's father, know you were living across the street. Is there this whole background of tension there? Yes. Or did he come after 9-11? Right. Like, remember, I think that would have been so interesting, though, because Oscar portrays his dad as this 
perfect human. And obviously parents are not perfect. And I think it would have been such a good layer to add if Oscar's dad did know his father lived across the street, but he wasn't happy about it or right, right. there was some tension there, like that his dad wasn't a perfect person. Yeah, that's true. Or that he had his own problems. I think mm-hmm. that would have been nice to like kind of humanize him a bit more. But it's told from Oscar's perspective. His dad was right, his hero. That's Obviously, that's the view we're going to get. Yeah, true. Anything else in the plot? We spent so much time on it. <laughs> no, I think it was worth it. I think this movie deserves it. Mm-hmm. I mean, nine out of ten. I think we yeah. had to talk a long time about it. Agreed. We needed a few moments to gather ourselves. We did. It's fine. So for Sandra Bullock's character, we rated her character Linda an eight out of ten. And you could probably hear in our plot summary before, like we started off a little bit like mm, a little turned off from her character because obviously, even though she's a grieving widow, she did seem like an absent parent. And you are left wondering, like, what, how is Oscar just, like, allowed to go out on his own like this? But, I mean, immediately, once you learn at the end that she's actually been keeping track of all of his endeavors and, like, meeting the people that he was going to meet before he did, you're like, okay, you know, you kind of, like, breathe a sigh of relief. And you're like, oh, I knew I believed in you, Sandra Bullock. And not only that, but I love that her character puts herself in her son's mind to try to connect with him. Mm -hmm. I just think it's so cool. And I think in that moment, you kind of get it like clicks why, even though we don't really get to see many moments of Sandra Bullock and Tom Hanks together, there's a little bit in the flashbacks at the beginning, but you get the sense of like, oh, I understand why they were together in this movie. Yeah, because in the beginning when Oscar is having his flashbacks with his dad, Linda's there. She's just kind of like in the background. Mm -hmm. But whenever you see her revealing that she's known what he's been up to, you see her making her own map and predicting where he's going to go. And so like clearly Oscar's dad was keeping her in the loop on all these expeditions, like telling her about it. And she just knew that was a special thing for the two of them. So I love that she realized the expedition was a special thing to connect Oscar to his dad. And it wasn't a place where she tried to step in and fill his dad's shoes. Yes, exactly. She was just trying to contribute to his memory for Oscar, which right. I think is amazing. I love that. And that big reveal is like one of the best parts of the movie. Oh, it's so good. Like I was just looking over at Kale for his reaction when she revealed it. Cause I was just like, I love this part. And that honestly is the one thing I would say. I mean, besides obviously all of the emotion, I think that's one of the things that stuck with me the most about this movie. And like, Months later, after we'd watched it, like that's what I remembered is like seeing those like montage scenes of her going to all of those places. Like that's what stuck in my head, which I think is a really cool thing out of all of the parts of the movie. I think it says a lot that that's like her part. She didn't actually have a ton of screen time. So the fact that that's what stuck with me, I think is cool. Mm hmm. I also love her honesty with Oscar. Like when they have that explosion scene where they're just kind of like mm. letting it out. Yes. It's gut-wrenching but I like that she tells him first of all that sometimes things just don't make sense right it'll never make sense but then also that that moment of her like we said before when she's like you did mean that you know right let's not sugarcoat it it sucks and you know you were closer to your dad (laughs) right that's the truth uh so true yeah so her character definitely gained tons of points absolutely So for Sandra Bullock's acting, we gave her an 8.5 out of 10. So another very strong score. I agree for how little she's on screen. She makes a big impact with her acting. Mm -hmm. And there are some key points that stick out. 
most notably, which we already talked about, was her acting when she's on the phone with Thomas Ugh. and he's in the tower and she's at work is just heartbreaking. She's literally watching the World Trade Center from her office window, begging him to come home. You just can't imagine it. And I, I think yeah. I think in that moment she just portrayed like what thousands of people felt that day. Yeah. Which is a big acting burden to carry, I think. But right. I think she like, did such a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. I also thought her panic when she gets home after leaving work on 9-11, like when she's calling out to Oscar and then asking about if his dad called. I just think like that acting was really strong as well because she's trying to remain calm for Oscar, but you can tell she's like desperate. And when she's just calling on the phone like over and over and it just keeps getting like whatever signal that said like the line is not working right now, like she just kept trying over and over and you feel that sense of like desperation of like she needs to find out what's happening. I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. And in the year after when Oscar is first starting this expedition, I think probably before she catches on to what's going on and he's just leaving, <laughs> she looks tired. She looks nervous that he's leaving, but she knows that forcing him to stay just makes things worse. Right. I think she just expresses that whole situation so well. Completely agree. I realized, I think I cried every time she spoke. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, though, because like, if you think about it, like the purposes that she was serving in this movie, every moment that she was on screen was like very pivotal because in the flashbacks, obviously, it's like the very emotional, tragic moments. And then when we're in present day, it's like the tension between her and Thomas. So like I'm crying because there's like this chasm between mother and son and I just want them to like, I just want them to hug. And then like at the end when they're finally bonding, I don't know, I literally, I cried every time she spoke. (laughs) She moved me to tears. I mean, what more can you say? Exactly. I feel like we should just leave it at that. It was excellent. Yeah. Okay, so for Boss Babe, we rated it a one out of two. Though I will say, after I watched this again tonight, I was like, man, maybe we should have given her, you know, like a quarter point or something for being so clever, figuring out what her son was up to. (laughs) That's true. But it's okay. I mean, we rated it how we rated it. We did. She got a point. Yeah, exactly. It's just not Boss Babe in the classic way that we've been rating her Boss Babe moments, where it's like her, you know, oftentimes it's her literally fighting off an enemy. (laughs) True, true. <laughs> Still good, though. Yeah. And then for our Would You Watch Again score, we rate a one or a five or a three if we're undecided. We definitely gave this a five out of five. Would both watch it again. Allie just watched it again today. Yep. I'm glad I didn't watch it today, <laughs> but I would watch it again for sure. You have to be in the mood. It's just like if you need a good cry or if you need a movie that you feel like is going to move you and you want hope at the end, like this is a really good movie for that. Agreed. So, to review, for Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, we give the plot a 9 out of 10, Sandra Bullock's character Linda an 8 out of 10, Sandra Bullock's acting an 8.5 out of 10, a Boss Babe score of 1 out of 2, and a Would You Watch Again score of 5 out of 5, for a total score of 31.5 out of 37 points, which means Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close is ranked number 10 out of 48. Yes. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it deserves that. I agree. Anything else? I just have to say, this is an episode I'm glad we don't do video for. 
because oh, you're so it right. would have been a disaster. Yeah, you're so right. That's true. We've been thinking about YouTube, everyone, and honestly, it's it looks like a lot of hard work. So it's not maybe. going well. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> uh, we'll see. As always, thanks for listening to the Girl Crush Podcast. Let us know your thoughts on today's movie and if you cried as much as we did on Instagram at girlcrush underscore pod. You can also email us at podcastgirlcrush at gmail.com and visit our website at www.girlcrushpodcast.com. Tune in next time when we'll be talking about Loverboy. Bye. Bye.